This is a HeadGum Podcast. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to Inside Voices. I'm your host, Kevin T. Porter. My guest today is Griffin Newman. So Griffin is a comedian and an actor. You may have seen him as Arthur on The Tick or heard him on Our Cartoon President. You might have also heard him on his podcast, Blank Check, the show he co-hosts with David Sims. It's a podcast about movies, but really it's about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce, baby. That intro is the one Griffin says at the top of each episode, and it is seared into my brain. I've spent hundreds of hours with Griffin's voice inside my head because I found Griffin, David, their producer, Ben, and the revolving door of guests to be something necessary and vital to me. Comfort. Some podcasts are just functional, like a breezy roundtable chat or a slickly produced news show. We put them on to put them on. It makes the commute pass by quicker or the chores feel like less of a drag. But a lot of us listen to shows to basically visit our friends. The ones that have never met us and don't know our names. We want to eavesdrop on people we like having a conversation, making a connection. It feels good to be near that, especially now. Okay, let's get the name of the episode from Griffin. I believe, at least in the realm of podcasting, where I have found my home is owning, having a little stinker voice. A little stinker voice. I Griffin think a Newman little has a stinker little voice. Stinker I think voice. I have a little stinker voice. <laughs> How would you define that? Who are some great little stinkers of our time I and mean, of history's past? I think Bugs Bunny is the greatest little stinker mm. of all time. In fact, he would rhetorically ask the audience to confirm that. Sure. Yeah. I think it's a little stinker voice is you can sort of just you can picture the eyebrows wiggling at the end of every sentence. And they come with a little like ding ding ding. Like a musical sort of chime sound effect. I um I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but yeah. I'm actually surprised at how uh, confident and clearly you can articulate the sound of your own voice. Do you know what I mean? I would expect someone like you and uh-huh. just kind of the way you've talked about yourself or like image issues to be like, oh my God, and go through a spiral like so many people on this show have. Totally. Everyone goes to a negative space with it, but you've yeah. like... You seem to have like made peace with him. Like, yeah, this is who I am and I can own it and, and I'm good with it. It's funny. I, I was listening to your show on the way here. I spiral about almost everything in my life all the time. And I am genuinely one of those people who cannot uh, watch myself without having a small scale panic attack hmm. at best. 
but a reason why I think I, I have found such joy in podcasts was from the moment I started doing it, I am able to re-listen to an episode and calmly assess what I'm doing correctly and incorrectly and learn the lessons from that and take them forward. And why is that different from visual stuff? I don't know. I think I truly hate my face and my body. I think I just, I, I will never, ever come to terms with the disconnect between how I wish I looked in my ideal world of worlds, which is Paul Rudd, and how even more realistically I think I look at any given moment, you know? Yeah. And there's something about watching footage of yourself and having, I mean, this is why I, I truly, I'm not uh, um, being hyperbolic here. I truly have somewhat of an existential crisis anytime I have to watch footage of myself because I just, I look at it and I go, when I was doing this with my hand, I was so convinced it looked this way. Mm -hmm. And I'm now looking at it from the other side and it looks entirely different. And because it looks different, the intent reads differently. And if my perception from the inside is so radically different from the outside, then how do I know whether anything I perceive is correct? You can't trust correct? anything, yeah. Right, it then extends from a very narcissistic base to I just spiral. But the voice thing, for whatever reason, I think because I have always been more successful uh, when I'm able to compartmentalize things and hyper-focus on things and just deal with one element at a time because I had for years struggled with watching myself and dealing with my own performances in any constructive way. Uh, once I started podcasting, I was going to say moved to podcasting, but I was doing both at the same time. But once I started podcasting, I think it felt like a relief after being so overwhelmed by every element of having to critique my own performance. Now it's reduced and simplified to just the vocal thing. It's only one element I have to think about. I'm able to sort of analyze that with great clarity. And and, and in a way where I, I've always been envious of when I hear actors who are able to think in really technical terms, especially like on camera actors, where they're like, I recognize that I always play like this and I need to do this with my neck. And this is my angle and I can feel the light and all that sort of stuff that like movie stars say that's like, ah, oh, that's that's their secret. Julia Roberts knows the exact geometry of where her smile needs to be in relation to the light and to the lens and to the other actor, like all that sort of stuff. I am way too in my head and stressed out and thinking about 18 different things to really let that factor into my thought process when I'm acting above uh, trying to give a good emotional performance. You know, I'm like, I wish I was so secure in the emotionality of the thing that I also, on top of that, could know my angles. And I don't think I do. But I think listening to podcasts, it's easier for me to go, oh, that's my angle there. It sounds better when I do this and worse when I do this. And this is the rhythm at which I speak. And this is the type of words I I succeed with. Like, I, I'm able to break it down like that. Totally. And it, it's interesting, too, because I feel like to a degree, you're only 
so much in control of what you look like. It's yeah. just kind of like, this is the hand you're dealt. You can work out. You can moisturize, whatever. Sure. But it's like, this is what I look like. This is what any person looks like. With voice stuff, it does feel a little more malleable of, wait, oh, I can do like, I don't know, vocal coaching or voice lessons, yeah. therapy if I want to lose an accent. Or I can talk up here or I can talk down here. Yeah. Like, And it seems a little more elastic than your body. I think that's a big part of it. I mean, I'm like, I'm doing, I'm, I'm resisting going into full little stinker for the sake of this episode <laughs> because i feel like this is honest behind the curtain stuff oh, right but feel free sir it's both at the same time but but like you're saying it's not like a, a a character but it is a thing of you start to understand the modulation within your natural state you know the range of yourself and as an actor yeah i feel completely limited by how i look like, I was talking about this with a friend the other day, but I'm like, God, I just wish I could play 70s Gene Hackman roles. And he's like, you're wearing a Toy Story t-shirt and a Toy Story hat at the same <laughs> time. You just don't, you know, like, you're not going to play Popeye Doyle. And a lot of my favorite actors are people who play roles that you would never think to cast them as. And rather than pretending to be a different type of person with a different look, they find a way to bring it into their own weird angle. But... I also think there's something to the people who have kind of a very neutral look and are able to modify themselves to play any different type of part. Yeah. You know, I feel like I have a very specific physical type and the way I move. And I like to think I have some degree of range as an actor, but I also think that like a lot of my career as an actor has been coming to terms with the things I fundamentally cannot do and the things I am better suited for. And trying to focus on expanding the things I am closer to. But that having been said, I am constantly trying to figure out how to get uh, better at podcasting. You know, both like how what I can do informing the show and also just uh, me and my voice. What is uh, going to lead to the best version of this show? Constantly trying to strengthen those muscles. And so when I started podcasting and listening to myself and going like, some episodes my voice is deeper, some episodes I'm speaking more clearly, some episodes I'm speaking less clearly, um, I got to a point where I was like, I want to find what my home base voice is. I want to find the voice that feels the easiest for me to click into in any given episode that also is probably the most consistently pleasant voice I can achieve. When I was uh, 13, I was so deeply embarrassed that I had braces, which is weird because a large percentage of 13-year-olds have braces. fair, I did at 13 as well. But I was like, this is going to ruin me. <laughs> so I trained myself to talk while moving my lips as little as possible. Like I consciously put effort in as an insane 13 year old to try to, I don't have a fucking ventriloquist mouth or something. So I think that started a really bad habit of me speaking uh, so uh, incoherently. Like mumbly, like not yeah. articulating. Yeah, okay. like throughout high school, I was so mumbly and I would slur all of my words because I was like trying to like talk like this or whatever, like constantly without like moving my mm. lips. I remember doing a school play where the director pulled me out of rehearsal and made me stand in the bathroom and stare at the mirror and practice words that ended with I-G-H-T for 20 minutes. Because I go, right, light, might. It should be like might, might, say might, say light. So I developed a lot of bad habits there. And then even when I started acting and I would watch 
the footage myself. And most of this, by the way, was, uh, you know, like uh, student films and and uh, web series and stuff like that. Um, but I'd watch them when they got uploaded and I'd be like, I, I hate my voice. I can't understand anything I'm saying. This is incoherent. So I, I think doing the podcast, listening back to it was a process of now I can just focus on the vocal thing and figure out how to speak as clearly as possible. So I think I moved into a higher register. I, I naturally have a high register in my speaking voice, but I was like, I'm going to move to the highest register I can sort of move into as my comfortable landing zone without going into falsetto Mickey Mouse, um, because that seems to help me enunciate and project. Yeah. And that might be your center. I think that's my center. I don't know if yeah. you've ever done voice lessons, have you? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. I had a vocal coach one time where I went in and she just said, oh, just speak and just say whatever, say mm -hmm. what you had for breakfast. And then just listening to whatever my resting voice was, she would find the key on the piano of like, oh, your center is a G sharp or yeah. whatever it is. Or your center is like a, an A flat or an F or like a FC or even down to like the octave that it would be. Uh, sure. So it sounds like you got there just through like trial and error yeah. of doing this stuff. Yeah, but I also, I think, I am I worry that my center is mumble grumble voice. <laughs> you know? Still, like like when you're tired or maybe yeah, my, you've I'm, had a few, do you kind of revert back to that That's my stuff? default, mm -hmm. certainly. And like default, that's my default. Uh, and I feel like if I'm on the phone with my mom, that's my voice, you know? Mm -hmm. I've tried to apply this as my center to, like, all facets of my life because I think it's slightly more pleasant to listen to than the mumble-grumble man. Um, but I also think even if that's my natural pitch, it is so inextricably tied to a lack of clarity at this point. <laughs> yeah. That I can't do it. That I have to, to some degree, make the conscious choice of... This is my this is my presentational voice. Like this is my I want to be heard voice. Yeah, you know. But, but these are the two poles of the spectrum. It's mumble grumble man versus little stinker, and you're right. always vacillating between the two at any given moment. Right. And I felt also that like mumble grumble man, I had a lot less control comedically in that zone. It was a lot flatter. There was a lot less variation, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're saying performance wise, or yeah. is this like? Like in improv scenes or stand up or whatever. The case well, may be. when I was doing stand up, I mean, it, it's one of those things where, like, you know, people say, like, the audience tells you how you're funny. You can have this preloaded idea of, like, I think I'm this type of comic. And then you get on stage and no one laughs at that type of thing and they laugh at this other type of thing. And you can either talking about, I mean, getting back to this thing of, like, identifying what your range is and your limitations are and everything. I. Remember when I started doing stand-up, I was like, oh, I'm totally going to be this, like, sort of, like, uh, a flat, uh, a glib, deadpan guy, you know? Like, I thought I was closer to, like, Dennis Miller or whatever. I was like, that's the, I'm going to be this, like, you know, like, hey, oh, well, you know, this is the thing kind of thing. And it just, like, no one saw me that way, whether it was just because of my physical appearance or I wasn't selling that energy or that wasn't innately who I was, whatever it was, right? Um, and I still think I was fighting a lot of stuff you know in terms of like who i didn't want to be because you have this idea you're like oh you know it'd be really funny as if i was this kind of guy but you're like but you're not that kind of guy that's not how your brain works that's not what your personality is and people aren't laughing at it because it isn't uh genuine i had had, had sort of had the biggest career failure of my life up until that point in time which was i got cast on 
uh, John Mulaney's NBC sitcom pilot, which felt like getting drafted onto the Yankees. Worked very hard to get the part. I think it was a role I was well suited for, but I was uh, playing with people who were way above my weight class. And then the show wasn't picked up by NBC and then was picked up by another network conditional on me no longer being on it. So I came out of that and was like, I don't know what to do with myself now. And was sort of trying to like find projects to do in New York City. And Riley Soliner, who's a great comedian here in New York City, a UCB guy, was another regular of the Chris Gethard show, which had started out as a UCB show. And then after two, three years of doing it at UCB, um, he moved it to cable access uh, every Wednesday night at 11 o'clock. And it was my favorite show in the world. It felt like the actual real world version of The Muppet Show. And Riley and I were like sort of two of the biggest mega fans. But we were uh, sort of friends with a lot of people who worked on the show, would go every week, would sort of contribute or help in any way we could, anytime they'd let us. When I came back uh, to New York and the show had failed and I felt like a failure, we started getting coffee and going like, let's come up with something for us to do together. And then it went to maybe we should do a podcast. Have you ever done a podcast? No, I've never done a podcast. Let's find something to do a podcast about. We'll do a parody of talkback shows. And the joke is... Here's a very esoteric insular community and we're doing overly serious deep dive analysis of this thing and parodying the format of that sort of like talk back show. So we went and we pitched it to a network uh, and we started doing the show and it, um, it, it like out of the gate did crazy well. And then every episode after that, our listenership dropped 50%. <laughs> like truly. It was really kind of like an advanced ropes course of figuring out how to do a podcast. We were in this kind of happy medium where there were people tuning in. There was a reason to keep doing it. And then after about a year, I think, of doing the show, Comedy Central had passed on the Gethard Show pilot. I mean, we were doing it for the whole year of that process through their pilot taping, through them waiting for the answer. And then uh, Comedy Central passed. And they went on hiatus with the cable access show to sort of decide whether or not they wanted to keep doing it. We felt that was a time to stop doing the show. So we stopped doing it. And then about a year after that, another cable channel, this channel is called Fusion, and I think that doesn't exist anymore, uh, picked up the Gethard show. And then they were like, we have money in our budget. Do you guys want to host a podcast that's official once a week for $50? 50 I believe we made fifty dollars. Five an zero. I believe we made fifty. That's an insulting, isn't it? I mean, at the time, <laughs> felt incredible. At the time, no, yeah, we've I been mean, doing a show for uh, a year for zero dollars. Mm-hmm. We're like, you're gonna pay us fifty dollars <laughs> an episode? Yeah, official fusion budget. Yeah. So we did that for like four months, and that I, I think that conclusively didn't work. David Sims and I, uh, he's a critic at The Atlantic now, but at the time he was working for the AV Club, mostly doing like TV recap stuff. He and I become friends because Alyssa Stanoa, who is uh, an amazing comedian, uh, part of Three Busy Debras, on Twitter was like, you guys tweet very similar things. You seem like you should be friends. This was a Twitter love. Twitter love. Wow. So then we DM each other and we're like, yeah, well, let's go see a movie, get drinks. Uh, Mumble Grumble Man. Hey, MGM, back yeah. at it again. Um, so we we went, saw a movie, we got drinks, had a really good time. We are like, oh, maybe someone I'll see every once in a while. 
And then several months later, the whole Mulaney thing happened, got fired from the show, was super depressed. He texted me and was like, hey, heard the bad news. And I texted this thing back at him where I was like, this feels like my personal version of the Dark Phoenix saga from X-Men. I was like, the show not getting picked up felt like Jean Grey dying. And now that it's picked up conditional on me not being on it, it feels like it's Dark Phoenix time now. <laughs> and he was like, why don't we hang out more? That's, I, that's exactly how I describe my breakups. So then we hung out a second time. Second time we hung out, uh, we saw the Bling Ring, the Sofia Coppola movie. And afterwards... Uh, he got a text from his friend, uh, Pilot Virouette, uh, who said, I'm at uh, movie trivia. Do you want to come? So we went to this movie trivia night because we were like, yeah, why not? And just totally took to it. We're just like, oh, my God. I've been looking for a movie trivia night this intense my entire life where everyone is as obsessive and sort of singularly focused as I am. And it's super competitive because David had just gone through a breakup, too. So both of us were in this state where we're like, we have nothing in our lives. We're filled with sadness. We need a new project to obsess over. So our main project became trivia. At the same time that I'm doing this first podcast, which is my other project, right? One of them is somewhat of a career thing. The other one, on its face, not a career thing at all. But over the course of a year and a half to two years where David and I are obsessively doing trivia and slowly getting our lives back together, we start spending a lot of time together. And most of the downtime of trivia is us doing bits about movies and talking about people's careers and going like, wait, did this guy did this movie first or that movie first? And then we look at the IMDb and then we're like, that's crazy that he went from that to that to that. Yeah. Like, this is just what we would do for fun. Yeah. Th this is a, a sort of a breed of banter between friends I'm very familiar with in yeah. the sense of like, years are very important for some reason. Love it. Moulin Rouge was 2003. No, 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 no. It was 2001. Right. Because it was the June before 9-11. Like that is that important shit. for We're some all reason. about that. But then also being like, no, because you have to remember like, Cruz and Kidman get divorced while she's filming Moulin Rouge. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because the rumor at the time was because it was Ethan, you and McGregor having an affair with her. Like just all of that stuff we love talking about and love doing bits, right? Because we're getting drunk at a movie trivia night. Mm -hmm. So the drunker we get, the more we're trying to make each other laugh with fake answers for things or whatever it is. Um, so we're doing that for a couple of years. Stop doing that. The Gether podcast runs its course. Uh, I'm back to not really having a thing. And Dave and I both stopped going to trivia after winning a couple times and then realizing we had become the villains. Because it was championship based. It was sure. like seasons, right? So we won like two or three seasons and we went from being the plucky underdogs where people would cheer when we won because they were like, good for those guys, to them being like the bully camp in meatballs or whatever. And we were like, we got to leave. We, we've stayed long enough that we've become the villains. We need to leave. We need to move on. But then we felt like we needed something new to do with our lives. David loved podcasting. He was, uh, you know, a guy who would like, I think, cover podcasts a lot at AV Club. I had been doing the podcast, love podcast. We would relate on podcasts all the time. And so we just went like, we should we should just do a podcast. We should find a podcast. We need something to form our friendship around. We used to have a weekly event. Our friendship was based around, we need a new thing. One night he tweeted, I think, uh, Star Trek, The Next Generation, though. And I tweeted in response, Watto, though. Uh, which is nonsense. <laughs> But I was obsessed with Watto, the anti-Semitic uh, slave owner character from Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And I had been trying to make Watto happen on Twitter and been doing a lot of Watto bits and a lot of bits with him in person. <laughs> and I just hijacked it, 
his Star Trek tweet and just said, Watto, though. And he responded, what should we do a podcast about? And I believe I said, Watto. And? And then we started texting. And we went, well, wait, should we actually do, like, a Star Wars podcast? And I was like, I mean, I love Star Wars, but, like, I feel like there are thousands of Star Wars podcasts. Like, what would the Star Wars podcast be? Uh, is it just Watto? Is it, like, picking obscure characters? And then we landed on this dumb bit after, like, a night of, like, two hours of texting back and forth. That was, what if our podcast is exclusively about Phantom Menace? And then at some point, someone trumped it with, what if the bit is Phantom Menace is the only Star Wars movie that's ever been made? It's episode one. That's the only one that's ever been made. We're going to talk about it as if it was a failed franchise, as if it was like Tom Cruise's The Mummy, (laughs) and it was supposed to launch a dark universe, and it never did. And here's this weird artifact we have of a non-starter franchise. And that became our thing. And Ben Hosley, who had been the producer at the Creek in the Cave podcast network where we had done, Riley and I had done talking TCGS, had been hired to run the podcast network over at UCB, which were both very similar podcast networks. They were comedy theaters going, I guess we should probably have a podcast network, putting a microphone in a closet and having no idea how to monetize or advertise a podcast pitched it to Ben and he was like what's the premise and we're like it's just about Star Wars episode one the Phantom Menace and he was like and how many episodes are you gonna do and we're like it's indefinite it goes on forever (laughs) and he was like you get 10 episodes (laughs) so we did 10 episodes and probably like 30 people listened to it but maybe by the end of those 10 we had gotten to like 100 or something and it felt like we had something fun going on there But the breakthrough moment for me was in the first episode, which was we said we're just going to talk about the first 10 or 12 minutes of Phantom Menace. Like this episode is we're just going to hyperanalyze the first 10 or 12 minutes. Our podcast was not that format. We weren't doing the like one scene at a time, one minute at a time thing. Uh, But for this episode, we said we just want to analyze the opening. At that point, I was still like, uh, I want to be funny, but I want to be like the guy with authority. You know, like I wanted to have that sort of high status podcast comedy persona i think i wanted to be that like super professional podcast host like broadcaster dude and towards the end of the episode we're talking about how insane it is that uh natalie portman's character uh uh, padme uh is the queen of a planet Mm -hmm. when she is canonically i think 14 years old and i made this stupid joke that was like here's padme's uh life essentially queen alandal's story in a nutshell is she is born yep she learns how to poopy in a toilet like a big girl (laughs) then she leads a revolution and gets elected queen right those are all of her major life events yeah and david uh started laughing really hard I think less because uh, it was funny and more because it was uh, so stupid and childish. And he was still trying to be somewhat mature with the podcast. And I had been acting fake mature for the podcast up until that point, even though the inherent premise was silly. Our original bit is we're going to treat this like it's serial. We're going to be very, very serious grownups. And David got so embarrassed that he was laughing at pee pee in the toilet like a big girl that he like distorted his body off mic because he didn't want the mic to pick up that he was laughing because he thought it made him look more juvenile. (laughs) And in that moment, I went, fuck, that's the podcast. The dynamic is I'm going to try to make him laugh with the dumbest possible shit I can. I am now going to try to drag this podcast down 
There is uh, there is something to that that's remained even to this day though in terms of totally. like I don't know if it's high status low status but it is like I I think it kind of is so you would be low status in that sense and he'd be like the orator trying to keep yeah. things on rails and like no Griffin we have work to do yeah let's get back to it but I think you know that's the key to like any podcasts you know any podcast with more than one host is eventually going to come down just to the chemistry and the dynamic of the two people right because whatever the format is becomes secondary and the people are the format right. because there's a there's plenty of movie podcasts right. there's probably some that might even be similar to what you guys do totally. about a, a particular director but totally. no one is griffin and no one is david right and no one's ben either right it's like you need to figure out who you are individually that is different from what other hosts would do on the show. But you also need to figure out the alchemy of who you are with the other people in that room where there's a unique sort of chemistry that's happening, mm-hmm. you know, a chemical reaction. I do find it interesting that it started from trivia night and then got transmuted into podcast stuff because something you hear maybe in traditional heteronormative spaces Mm -hmm. a lot is the idea of women talk about their feelings and their emotions when they're together and men need events men need like the game to go to the poker game right yeah or trivia right right. yes and i do wonder if for a certain kind of guy in the 21st century if the version of that is Men need to start podcasts together. We're like feelings kind of leak out over time. SNL had that bit about like the father son podcasting mic. Yeah, Truly. I think it is a thing. And and look, David and I becoming close friends in the way we did uh, so quickly, I think was because we are both very deeply sad for different reasons. At that point in our life, we'd experienced uh, a lot of failure and rejection in the month or two prior to us becoming friends. And uh, we're both vulnerable guys. We're pretty down to talk about our feelings. Yeah, you're softies. We're softies. You're the softy brothers. We're the softy brothers. So we did like we had that outlet. And I think when we started the show, because we were doing such a heightened bit. We're, we're pretending that we don't know fucking Star Wars exists. The most famous movie of all time. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. And that makes it impersonal because we're essentially playing characters, even if we're identifying as ourselves, mm-hmm. because we're playing versions of ourselves who don't know that the fucking Empire Strikes Back came <laughs> out. Like, that's so antithetical to our lives. Also, the bit is so inherently stupid that then the big game becomes, how dumb can I make this? Mm-hmm. How quickly can I deflate this stupid premise by making him laugh at the dumbest things possible. And so then that becomes the thing of, oh, my persona here is the little stinker. And that works within the voice that I've started to find plays best on Mike and the stuff that it feels like then trying to develop as a muscle, like how can I in my voice create the image in a listener's mind of Bugs Bunny leaning against a tree chewing on a carrot mm-hmm. you know you just did the posture right there but, but like i think everyone the second i say that has the mental image of like oh right that ain't i a stinker pose that bugs bunny gets into and i'm like i want to make jokes like that with that sort of tone and just try to break him and if it makes him laugh that's a success and if it makes him sigh and go jesus christ what are we doing here that's also a success either one is equally satisfying to me Let's take a break from Griffin's little stinker voice, and we'll be right back with more Inside Voices. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Inside Voices. So you do the 10 episodes, then what does that turn into? We had gotten into a good rhythm pretty quickly that Ben was like, let's just discover the next Star Wars movie. And Ben, Ben Hosley, I mean, is the key to the show existing and is really the special sauce to the entire show and was smart enough. I mean, when we went to him and said, we want to do the Phantom Mass thing forever, he said, it's only 10 episodes, but you guys should also figure out what the larger concept of the show is so there's something for it to turn into when you're done with Phantom Menace. And we were like, you're dumb. You have no idea what you're talking about. He was 100% correct, and we were wrong. In between... Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, we did a one-off episode uh, based around the uh, horrible Robert Downey Jr. dramedy The Judge, which had just become a running joke somehow on the show, I think because I was perversely obsessed with it. And so we did this episode that was like, now there are no bits, there are no constraints on it. We're just analyzing Robert Downey Jr.'s career leading up to this movie. How does this guy who was like, the actor of his generation. Everyone thought he was a genius. He gets nominated for an Oscar for playing fucking Charlie Chaplin in his early 20s. He's the youngest SNL cast member ever, but he's like tortured and he's damaged and he's getting in and out of prison and constantly like having, uh, you know, addiction troubles and all this stuff. Like somehow in his late 30s, early 40s, has this amazing career revival, becomes the number one action star in the world, improbably, and now has like, one could say a blank check to do whatever he wants, and he chooses to cash it in on this movie, The Judge, which was the first movie he ever produced. And we were just like, why does this movie exist? Why would he make this decision? Why would he spend all his capital here? What the fuck is up with this? And between that and doing the Star Wars episodes, we realized, oh, the Star Wars episodes are really becoming about us trying to figure out what George Lucas is thinking. And that started to become the through line. I think about halfway through the year, I started to land on the thing where I was like, oh, you know what I think it is? It's us picking people who got blank check status and how they spent it. So that became like the thing. And we did what felt like, even though we had very little to lose, because relatively it was like our listenership is still in the hundreds. It did feel a little crazy to go like after a year of building up a show, we're going to essentially throw out everything. (laughs) We're going to rename it. We're going to have a different theme song. We're going to change all of our branding and just start over. And here it is. At the end of the Star Wars run, we did a little live show and we sold out like 80 tickets and we felt incredible about it. You know, like 80 tickets in a bar basement. We felt like unbelievable about it. We were like, this is look what this has become. 80 Mm -hmm. people came and we know like 10 of them we have never met before. Not a bringer show. Right. We're like 70 of them. Yes, friends of ours, but 10 of them we've never met. And that is a funny thing, too, to see the physical manifestation of something. Yeah. Because numbers on a computer screen are one thing, but to see actual bodies in the room. Totally. It's like, wait, you actually, well, you wanted to be here and you paid for the, right. and, you're, and it just feels overwhelming in that sense. Totally. I, at that point in time, was like, you know, a couple years out from the Mulaney thing at this point and felt like my career was 
over. Like, I was like, I think the acting thing is done. I had drafted an email to send to my agents, my managers, to be like, I don't want to audition for anything for a year. And after a year, I'm going to decide if I like, I need to take a year off and reassess and see if I still want to be doing this because I feel so uh, beaten down and defeated by it that I, I just can't go through it anymore. But because I had had this big job and then had such a steep fall off and then felt like I couldn't get hired, it was like very dramatic for me. And then uh, right when we sort of started the blank check rebranding, uh, my last audition, I, I was like, I'm going to do this and then send the email was uh, The Tick which was a show I wanted more than anything and thought was impossible that I could possibly book. Why would they ever hire me for this? I'm unknown. I'm the guy who got fired from the sitcom. Uh, impossible. And uh, somehow within like the that first three or four months of doing the podcast, I got cast on this role. And then it became this thing of like, Oh, I was doubling down on podcasting, even though it wasn't making me any money, and doubling down on stand-up, even though it wasn't making me any money, <laughs> and doubling down on sketch, even though it wasn't making me any money, and completely ready to abandon acting on camera in any sort of way. And instead, now I've got the biggest role I've gotten in my life, which might lead to increased visibility. And I want to, rather than shift gears, get more serious about the podcast and hope that that platform... Uh, exposes the podcast to more people. But yeah, I feel like once we rebranded as Blank Check, very quickly it felt like this is working. We're building a good ecosystem of like our regular guests and friends. Mm -hmm. I think we have a sensibility at this point that we've worked out through trivia, through a year of doing the Star Wars podcast, from us doing other podcasts with other people, like all of this. It was like a Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off moment where suddenly it was like all the things that seemed irrelevant ended up all coming into play at this one moment where we suddenly figured out exactly how to do the thing. Yeah, and it sounds like Blank Check might be something that you are most proud of in your professional life I just because it's think the, so. it's the yeah. purest distillation of who you are. It's yeah. a very personal yeah. endeavor. It doesn't, because it didn't come from a, not like it was pure altruism, sure. or like a community service, but just yeah. like the fact that it came from uh, you started for emotional reasons with David 100%. instead of like financial reasons. It, yeah. was, it was a deeply personal thing that then people validated by showing up to it. Right. And that just feels like a, it's a pretty pure validation of who you are and your sensibility and what you think is funny with David. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which cuts both ways. It also then I, I'm, I wonder if you feel this way, but then you go like, wow, it's, I feel very vulnerable. That yeah. I am like when you're starting out, no one's listening to it. It's so exciting anytime a new listener comes on and you feel like your vulnerability, your honesty, your transparency, uh, you know, how personal it all is and how much it's a reflection of your own brain and your own interests and your own sense of humor and everything is like that's the only asset I have. That's the only currency I have. At the end of the day, they're going to listen to the show because of me or not. So the only thing I can do is figure out how to be the most compelling version of me because I'm never going to be Ira Glass. And if they want to listen to an Ira Glass show, they will listen to the show that Ira Glass hosts. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the one thing that I might uh, bring up as like a point of resistance with that is the yeah. fact that it is about movies. So you can, if you want to, do a little math about, oh, well, maybe this person is just really into Christopher Nolan. Totally. They're really into Star Wars and they did a Google search. 100%. Podcast, Star Wars. They yeah. found this and then they just so happened. So 
there is that little layer of separation in that it's connected totally. to other people's IP. And something you had like like Gilmore Guys, it's the same thing. I'm sure we're like, you know, especially for the first run. I mean, by the later run, like people were listening to it because you guys had established a thing and the show was getting written up and it was funny. And everyone said like, well, it's not just about Gilmore Girls. If you don't watch the show or you don't love the show, you can still like it. But as an entry point, that's only going to get you so far yeah if they're gonna stick around they have to like what you're specifically bringing to the table and how that's meshing with everyone uh, else so then the weird thing is as the show becomes bigger and bigger and more people are drawn to it you're opening it up to more people who then can also flatly reject it yeah. and the thing i found is the catch-22 is like if someone didn't like the show in the first two years of listening to it which is a very deeply valid opinion <laughs> We started doing advertising after a couple years, and it just felt like, oh, my God, this is like drink money. This is like crazy. We're getting like a little extra. Um, and then in the last year, we started our Patreon, and it uh, got much bigger than we anticipated. And as a result, we've sort of had to like restructure the way we think about the podcast and how we operate into being like this is like a small business. And we have employees now, you know, like a lot of the people who had been doing stuff for us for free, making artwork or our theme song or social media or things like that. As we've like made money off of doing it, we're like, we have to, in a structured way, figure out how to repay the people who have helped us build this show. So there's like two tracks now where there's like, I mean, there's like three tracks. There's our friendship, which is very similar to the podcast, but the podcast is kind of our friendship in quotes. It is the presentational uh, formatted, structured version of our friendship. And then there's us as sort of like co-presidents of this tiny little business that is constantly trying to figure out like, how are we sharing our profits and how much are we paying this person and how much are we, uh, are we bringing on someone to do this? You know, how much do we want under our own domain and things like dividing up those responsibilities of the things uh, David and I have very different anxiety triggers and very different things that we feel obsessively controlling about. So we try to find a pretty good division of like, you deal with this stuff and I deal with this stuff and we meet in the middle and we don't have to communicate everything to each other. To some degree, it's like a marriage where we have weird tensions sometimes as any close relationship does, especially when you're mixing an emotional interpersonal relationship with a business relationship. And I, and I think Dave is like this too, just like all about transparency, just like verbalize the thing. The more responsibility that builds around the silly thing we've made, the more you have to sort of put extra weight onto those conversations. And that weight can often then strain on the friendship rather than on the business. Yeah. But those things are tied. Like, if we don't get along, the whole thing will collapse. It's a house of cards. That's what's so scary about that stuff is right. because the performance of friendship is, it is a performance and it is in quotes and it is the highlights or the reductive high stress, low stress stuff. Yeah. But it's also like something where if it's not good off mic, it's not going to be good on mic. Agreed. You can only fake it to a certain degree. Totally. Before people start to notice. Because the show always has to feel fun for us or else it's not going to be fun to listen to. And let's also just constantly think about we're big fans of stuff. We're guys who overanalyze stuff. We're guys who have really strong relationships to the media that we care about. What would we want to see out of this show? 
you know, what do we want out of the shows that we listen to? I mean, that's like a lot of our thought process is us going back and forth to each other and going, did you listen to the most recent episode of this? Like, that was bad. That feels like they're taking a wrong step here. Or this is really working. We should consider trying to do our equivalent of this. Do you think of Blank Check as an emotional show? Because it certainly changed yeah. your life. Yes. In a, totally. To a large degree. Totally. I mean, it is, it's a weird stat to throw out, but it's like, I've been lucky to work as an actor, but The Tick is pretty much the only job I have ever had that didn't pay scale, which for those who don't know is the absolute union minimum that they can pay an actor for a project. Uh, To be paid any amount of money for acting is insane. And uh, even, you know, scale for acting is often a, a nice little chunk of money. But I was never making big amounts. And I was, uh, you know, buffering that with like stints at retail or doing sort of freelance jobs, logging and capturing footage or babysitting or whatever it was. Um, and and the tick was like an actual amount of money uh, being paid for a large amount of work. And that was transformative in my life to suddenly be like, oh, that economic anxiety, uh, not to steal a, a Trump hey. term, is gone, Right. I, I have money in hand now, but it's still matched with the scariness of what if this show gets canceled, which it did. What if I never get a job this big again, which I haven't since. You never know. So I, I like stockpiling the money I'm making off this TV show to go like, this might be the only time anyone ever pays me this much in my entire life. And this might be the nut of money I live off of until I'm 87 years old. You know, there's that kind of fear. But right around the time that The Tick got canceled, we launched our Patreon. And the Patreon has now become the only time I have ever had a consistent regulated income in my entire life. And that's emotional. And like no, money is totally, emotional in that totally. sense. And it's not in like a like a tiny violin way. Like I bet on myself. I did something risky. I followed a career in an industry that is super erratic, you know, and is kind of like playing the lottery constantly. The, the money I'm making is in relation to doing five years of a show essentially for free you know putting the sweat equity into it doing it purely because we wanted to do it we love doing it we want to find a new way to hang out as friends that people like it enough that when we offer them the potential to pay us for something they did and also we produce a ton of patreon content i mean we this is another thing where we strategized for like nine months before we launched a patreon because we were like if we're gonna do it we want to actually offer people something that is worth $5 and we're essentially going to double how much recording we do. You know, we're going to do another eight hours of audio per month, which is going to take a lot of schedule finessing and everything, but we're going to make it happen. And it's not worth doing unless we can give people that much and feel like we're giving them a bargain relative if they like the way our voices sound. There's something nice about the fact that the money is coming because people have liked what we have done. That it's not an advance on something that you don't know if you're going to be able to execute or not. We have to maintain it, you know? It's like now we have to keep up a consistency of quality. And I wonder how you optimize when you are operating from that place of like, we have to maintain a lot of hours per month. Totally. Of audio. And it's on one hand, you want to make sure you're living up to the standards set by it. I mean, people listen to things differently if they're paying $5 for it, as they should. If an episode is bad, you are more resentful than if an episode is bad and it's your main feed and you can delete it and it's no skin off your back, no money out of your pocket. Uh, You also don't want to carry that burden, that weight, and make the show feel heavier. 
Right. So it's a tough, like, tricky balancing act. But it, it but is a relief, by the way, for you to hear you talk about it in such, um, not sincere, because you are sincere, but just in kind of uh, almost like weighty terms. Because I feel like a common disposition or posture towards a lot of this stuff is like, uh, it's a comedy podcast. Who cares? This comedy podcast sucks. We sure. suck. And I know you guys can like slip into that yeah, in like yeah. a standard, like self deprecating right. way. But I think people sometimes underestimate or undervalue the amount of thought or intention that comes sure. from a lot of these decisions. Right. But, but it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of intention that goes into trying to put all that thought up until the starting line when we start recording the podcast. And then it hopefully is a kind of free form loose thing that we put all the work in under the hood before that moment and then we can just sort of like zoom we don't want to be flippant about this because people have invested in this show which is crazy but we don't take that lightly and we want them to feel like we're recognizing that they care and trying to give them back as much as they can. I'm, yeah, again, I'm just very relieved to hear the kind of sincerity response that you can internalize positive feedback and people saying like, no, I like this and I like it this much amount of money's worth a month. Yeah. And that you don't feel it's a crushed or consumed, but yeah, you yeah. feel like a, a healthy responsibility it's, it's to a, deliver. It's a good pressure. And it also is like, it's good to stay a little scared. You want pressure on yourself. You don't want to become complacent. You don't want to ever feel like I know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. you know? As much as I identified very early on, like I think my my podcast dynamic is that I'm the little stinker. Uh, you don't want that to stay static and you let that evolve. You let that change based on who the guest is and what mood you're in in that day and what the subject of the movie is. You know, it's harder to be a little stinker in an episode about Schindler's List, say. But not impossible. We'll see. We'll cross <laughs> that bridge eventually, I'm sure. I'm doing this voice on uh, uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, which is the upcoming Netflix He-Man cartoon reboot. And I am this crazy big He-Man fan. I fought so aggressively for this part to an insane degree uh, because it is not the main character. <laughs> Like, it was to put so much energy into, like, you want to do that for, like, the little wizard guy, you know? And I was just like, I, I've always wanted to play this part. In the abstract, I never even thought that I could play this part. But the second I heard that they were bringing the show back, I was like, of course, that's what I want to do. But it's also a character that has a very specific voice that multiple generations of people have grown up on, have very strong associations with. And Orko is the character. He's, like, the comic relief and he is kind of the controversial character and that I feel like half the people who love He-Man are like, I love Orko. He's adorable. He's funny. And half the people are like, Orko is so annoying. He's the thing that ruins the show for me. He's like Jar Jar Binks. Every time Orko shows up, it's taking away from what I like about the show. <laughs> and so I'm in this position where here's a thing that I'm a massive fan of. I have to play this character the way I know he sounds as a fan. I'm in the camp of fans who love him, but I also want to work for the fans who hate him. I want to find a way to deepen it a little bit and tone down the elements that people found annoying before, but not stray far away from what the people like me who love him liked in the first place. And also figure out how to organically uh, uh, replicate a voice that was only ever uh, the byproduct of problem solving. Have you recorded already? I've recorded half the season. Okay. I hope I've pulled it off. I, I feel pretty good about it. 
I don't want to call my shot because I won't feel good until I hear it. Wait, I'm getting a tweet right now. Netflix has canceled oh, okay. Masters of the Universe. Mm-hmm. Hulu is picking it up. What? But without Orko? Oh, okay. There we go. It's Another happening again. Another one of these. How did this occur oh, twice in a row I for got you, Malaney'd sir? I again. <laughs> um, but I do wonder if you feel... I feel very nervous about it. You feel yeah. nervous about it, but I wonder if you do feel a little more confident or empowered, especially for actors who have podcasts like you. Yeah. Where it's like when you put a project out now or you get cast in something and comes out like the tick or even like draft day or even like masters of the universe if it is a different situation because there's a significant amount of people now who don't know you primarily totally. from those things who do not know you totally. primarily from the tick they yeah. know you as actual griffin newman yeah on blank check or via you know other podcast appearances or yeah your twitter persona etc yeah there's that which is weird i i mean i feel since the tick ended i have primarily been doing voiceover work uh like doing the orco thing but also i'm on the show uh our cartoon president on showtime that's a uh, animated sitcom about the trump family and i play jared kushner on that and i went in and was doing more of a character voice in my audition because i was like well voiceover i have to be a man of a thousand voices i sound totally different Mm -hmm. and i did this whole like take on him that was very heightened and they were like hey um we listen to blank check can you just sort of talk the way you do on blank check and i was like oh okay did that and then got the part and it was very specifically a thing i think where they responded to how I had learned to use my voice on the podcast and hoped that I could replicate that within a scripted environment. You know, but they said, like, we don't need you to sound like the real Jared Kushner because he barely speaks. And we don't need you to do the heightened sketch comedy version of Jared Kushner. We think you're sort of like little stinker persona. They were like, specifically, when you get angry about a movie, the times you complain about something, can you do that voice for Kushner? And I was like, oh, totally. But that also comes out of, even though that stuff is natural on the podcast, over enough years of broadcasting, if I can call it that, you start to become more aware of the mechanisms that are being used so that you can replicate those things, if that makes sense. That fully makes sense. You know? And it is funny to think about it, too. It's not just, I think it's easy to think about podcasts as a disposable thing where it's Mm -hmm. like, well, especially now, you're putting out more than one a week on average in a month. But but. It's it's fine to think about it as a calling card or even in a loftier sense as a body of work. I know because I mean for that job in particular, I don't think I would have gotten it if not for blank check. I think that's the reason they brought me in to audition for it. I didn't realize that at the time. I thought it was this audition tape I had done. But the second I walked in, they went, no, no, don't do the thing on the tape. Do the blank check thing. And I was like, happy to. You know, I don't need to do the the more difficult thing. That's fine with me. I've done a couple other animated like guest spots for shows I think haven't been announced yet that are more character voices, but I also felt more equipped to do that going in because I had learned my own voice through doing seven or eight years in totality of podcasts across the Gethridge stuff and the blank check stuff. There's a big part of me that's like, I'd be really happy just kind of being a voiceover actor. Like I, I found this whole other path through the podcasting thing where i'm like i'd be kind of okay if i never was on camera ever again and i did my podcast which is my personal thing and i did uh cartoons um and it's not something i ever thought about 
Like, I don't think uh, when I got into acting, I thought my voice was an asset. But it's almost like what you were talking about with stand-up, where the audience has told you what is most interesting about you, maybe, in some ways, or what is most, in terms of, like, voice stuff versus on-camera stuff. Because I always thought my voice was a little nondescript, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's how you use it. Yeah, it's definitely not nondescript. Well, I'll tell you that much. Because I made myself a little stinker. Uh, there, there it is. I was going to say, let's it. close the episode but out. But Orko, Orko's kind of a little stinker. Yeah. Orko, royal buffoon, court jester and magician mm-hmm. uh, of the uh, the kingdom, the Palace of Eternia. And uh, he gets in a lot of trouble. I was going to say, we've been talking so sincerely this whole time. If I could talk to little stinker. You rang. Oh my God. I wasn't expecting the full stink. I got it so much. Oh my gosh. I feel like if you address them as Little Stinker, I have to suddenly become a character who is properly named Little sure, Stinker. Sure, 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 sure. Like yeah. a little stinky boy, like you are. Mm, I don't smell See, good. See, he does. He knows what he is. Oh, I got flies coming out of my diaper. <laughs> See? Oh, this is disgusting. Did I, I mention a... I'm little? Yes, you're very small, and I don't like it. It's unsettling. I mm, want you to be taller. Stinky poo-poo. Mm, it's not what I want. Griffin. Kevin. I really like your voice. I love your voice. Stinker and all. Oh, thanks, buddy. I told you this, but on the way here, I missed my subway stop because I was so relaxed listening to your show. That's such a nice compliment. I like zoned. I was like in a meditative state, and then I realized I was two stops past the express stop I was supposed to get out transfer on. Well, the highest hope for me is that I screw up a lot of people's commutes while they listen it, to this show. And I hope you do too today on this episode. I don't is even that have to say thank you. Yeah, yeah. you're welcome. That's the end, right? Probably. Yeah, we did it. Okay, great. <laughs> Griffin Newman has a little stinker voice. And you can listen to that voice on Blank Check every week wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be taking a short break after this episode, so consider this the season one finale. And we'll be back very, very soon. I promise. Inside Voices is produced by me and Steve Allman. Our theme music is by Pam Autori. And I'm your host, Kevin T. Porter. Thank you so much for spending time with us today on Inside Voices. That was a HeadGum Podcast.